Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is reporter Brooklyn Hahn to talk about the latest title insurance alternatives and how those are being received by the industry, as well as the fight over Colorado River water and what happened last week in that fight. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking with Matt Dowd, Vice President of Product Management at Ice Mortgage Technology, about mortgage automation. Matt, how can lenders take advantage of automated underwriting? Let me address that in two ways. The first, and I think the most obvious, is through technology. And there's options out there, right? Uh, Lenders can build their own teams and technology to solve the problem. Or, you know, there's multiple vendors in the space that will help solve it for them. The second point is really by defining areas they want to improve. So the focus, you know, is it on faster turnaround times? Is it on increased volume? Is it better efficiencies or optimization, better quality, a better customer experience, or all the above potentially? But I think it's super important that those are clearly defined if you're going to take advantage of automated underwriting. Love that. And listeners, you can find out more at icemortgagetechnology.com. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. Um, you know, you cover real estate for us. You also have, um, you you do a lot of title coverage and you write the title newsletter, which has been really great and we've gotten uh, lots of kudos on. So wanted to talk to you about some title focused coverage you've done specifically around the attorney opinion letters. So maybe you can catch up our audience on what an attorney opinion letter is and and why we're looking at those. Sure. So about a year ago, uh, Fannie Mae announced that it would be accepting these things called attorney opinion letters or AOLs for short uh, in lieu of title insurance in limited circumstances. And, um, you know, an attorney opinion letter is basically what they did, you know, prior to title insurance. So, you know, more than 150 years ago, what people were using to kind of guarantee that they, you know, were really the owners of the home that they had just bought. Um, So an attorney opinion letter is basically an opinion of an attorney um, who has gone through, you know, documents that they have access to under the public records saying that the new home buyer is the, you know, outright owner of the property. And this is really important for mortgage lenders who are often the ones providing most of the money to pay for this home that's being purchased. Um, And Fannie's announcement last year definitely was a bit of a wake-up call to the title industry. Um, Definitely garnered a lot of headlines and put a lot of people on notice. Um, But really the question was, you know, there was all this uproar and talk about AOLs and, um, you know, really some deep dives into what the value proposition of title insurance was and why people uh, you know, need it and why the title insurance industry feels title is so important. But it was really unclear how widespread, how prevalent the usage of AOLs was. And, and, a, point, uh, and a report came out last week from, from Fannie Mae. It was the 2022 Equitable Housing Plan Performance Report. Uh, and it basically showed that out of the grand total of 1.15 million loans purchased by Fannie Mae throughout 2022, only 45 loans had AOLs or were secured by AOLs. So that's 
a tiny, tiny drop in the bucket, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, of course, there are definitely concerns about AOLs and the lack of coverage that they provide homeowners, especially, you know, this is being touted as a solution for homeowners that maybe don't have, you know, the resources to pay for a title insurance policy or, uh, you know, cover all their closing costs. But, you know, if something does come up on the title later on, if, you know, there's fraud, there's a lien of some sort that pops up that someone didn't, the attorney didn't find in their search, the homeowner could be out tens of thousands of dollars, if not their entire house, um, you know, if they don't have the coverage of title insurance. So there's definitely still concerns, but they're not, you know, AOLs are not being used that much. This could change, obviously. They be- could become more popular in the future. Um, but the general overall consensus that I'm hearing from people is that, uh, you know, the programs are very narrowly tailored and lenders and a lot of people in the title industry and in the real estate industry as a whole are not... Um, they're not expecting to see these take off anytime soon. I've heard the same thing. So I was on a call with um, some title execs last week and that's what they said. Of course, this um, report had just come out and it was like 45 out of 1.15 million is pretty small number, but, but they brought up a couple points. One of which is that, you know, part, this is all part of Fannie Mae's equitable housing plan, right? To really reduce the cost to consumers to get a mortgage, especially for, you know, lower to moderate income borrowers. But the the title purchase itself is is pretty small if you look at the whole of the loan. And so, you know, that's one thing they brought up is like, it's not that it's not like this is going to make the difference between someone getting a home or not. And then, you know, they talked about the fact that um, these are these are people who really need that coverage if something goes wrong. But but also the first thing they said was like, you know, lenders would have to sign off, right? So a lender has to be like, okay, I'm going to accept an a, attorney opinion letter. And obviously that leaves them, um, there is some more risk to them involved, at least the people who were on this call felt like that. Yeah, absolutely. The lenders definitely have to have a bit of an appetite for gambling if they want to, you know, use this option and, you know, feel willing to accept an AOL in lieu of title insurance. And um, that also kind of brings up this other point that uh, came up in Fannie Mae's report um, about their equitable housing plan. Um, And, you know, they're also looking into some other pilot programs. And one of them uh, was leaked uh, about a little over a month ago, um, and um, Politico Pro published uh, this report based on some documents and some information they had obtained from anonymous sources. Um, And Fannie Mae would not, you know, confirm or deny this rumor, but basically one of the pilot programs uh, was that Fannie Mae would be looking at completely bypassing traditional title insurance and AOLs altogether. And the program would grant certain mortgage lenders a waiver on title insurance requirements for loans sold to Fannie Mae. And um, this obviously caused quite the stir. Um, The exact pilot programs have not been unveiled yet, but this one, it sounds like, you know, is definitely under consideration as a possible option. Um, And I was talking to a lot of people in the title industry about this, 
And yeah, generally the consensus is that, you know, sure you can do this, but the lender is going to have to have a very high risk tolerance if they decide to go this route. I I think that's a really salient point, right? It's possible that pilot program that Fannie is talking about, you know, removes some of that um, worry for lenders about the risk. But otherwise, I think there's there's a pretty um, uphill battle here if you think about what it actually gives to the homeowner. Like I said, it's not going to make the difference between someone getting a loan or not. And then just the fact that everybody's workflow is already um, organized around the idea of title and not an attorney opinion letter. So, you know, okay, they have to adopt something different. There's more risk for them. It doesn't seem like a huge win for consumers. So I think that's going to be interesting. But either way, one I wanted to talk about, um, you know, we, we both looked at a story that was uh, published from the Sun Sentinel, right? So I think this is in Florida. And it was about uh, a string of um, fraudulent things they've seen with title where people, you know, that whole idea that everyone's really afraid of that someone's going to take over the lien on their house and they don't even know it. And, you know, even while they're living there that the property ownership passes to somebody else. And that's been happening in Broward County, Florida. And I think they've seen like a 200% spike. They, they expect it. There are, there's a hundred homes right now um, where this is, where they're investigating and they think it's going to be more than 200 investigations by the end of the year. Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So, you know, across the country, um, we're definitely seeing an increase in fraud, whether it's wire fraud or instances like this or uh, vacant lot fraud, which I covered a few weeks back in the newsletter um, based off of a report from Certified. Um, you know, basically what happens is these fraudulent actors go in and they, uh, you know, create fake accounts, pose as uh, the homeowner and go to a real estate agent. Uh, usually it all happens over the phone um, with no face-to-face meetings and they say they want to sell, you know, the piece of property and, you know, it ends up going through. Um, and, you know, if it's not caught, then whoever owns the property is kind of out of luck um, unless someone can catch the fraudulent actors, uh, you know, before it happens. And then the person who has purchased this uh, piece of property, you know, unknowing that it's being sold by a fraudster and not the actual homeowner or property owner, they're out of luck and out of a lot of money as well. So um, it's definitely uh, a creative scam, um, but it's becoming more and more prevalent. So it's really interesting to see you know, all these actions being taken to potentially remove title insurance from, you know, the home ownership equation. When we're seeing instances of things like this increase, you know, so drastically. Um, And, you know, it's, you know, be interesting to see how the prevalence of fraud like this um, and, you know, what we're seeing in Broward County, uh, how that impacts lenders, homeowners, and, you know, even the FHA's decision to, you know, continue on some of the paths and continue with some of the pilot programs that they're talking about. I think, you know, you've done a lot, a great job over the last year, really talking about, um, we've had several things, you know, is title insurance necessary? We had a whole thing where people were like, oh, not people. There were, there were some specific individuals who wrote in large publications about, oh, title 
title insurance is a scam. And um, it's interesting when you see things like this and you're like, I don't know. Like in, in this case, I mean, you have this ring of thieves who looked at foreclosure foreclosures and thought that the banks wouldn't notice. And mostly the people living in those homes were seniors and they were really able to exploit it. And, you know, uh, props to the Broward property appraisers crackdown um, for getting involved here. And then a judge saw it and was like, this is wrong. This should not be happening. But if you don't have that kind of active uh, appraisal office, or if you don't have that kind of, you know, judge who who's looking at this, or, or if it's just not even uh, possible to see that the extent of this, I can imagine that this could become much more widespread. Absolutely, for sure. Awesome. Well, uh, I'd also like to kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about another hot topic, which is the fact that last week um, you reported on the Biden administration is looking to cut the water allotments from the Colorado River into some of the states and specifically some of the cities where we know a bunch of people have been moving in since the pandemic, right? We call them pandemic hotspots. So like Phoenix and Denver. And this is just part the the latest battle, the latest skirmish in a very long war over Colorado River water rights, right? And in this, we do have an 800-pound gorilla, and that is California. And I thought it was really interesting how California is still throwing its weight around here um, in this one. So kind of kind of walk us through this story. Sure. So yeah, this is definitely a very interesting story. Um, you know, I really love kind of getting into the weeds on some of these climate and environment-related housing industry issues. Um, and, you know, the Colorado River is the main water source for seven states, uh, Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada, and California. And since after World War I, um, those seven states have basically been governed by the 1922 Colorado River Compact, um, which divides how the flow of the river can be used by upper basin states, um, which include Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, and New Mexico, and lower basin states, um, which are fed off of Lake Mead. Um, So New Mexico, Arizona, or uh, Arizona, Nevada, and California. Um, And then as well, some of that water must also go... uh, you know, remain in the river for usage in Mexico as well. So that's another consideration. Um, And at the time of the compact's negotiation back over 100 years ago at this point, the annual flow of the river was estimated to be 15 million acre feet. But it was later discovered that the river's annual average flow is closer to 12.5 million acre feet. Then on top of that, we've also had, you know, several years of drought, uh, you know, climate change issues impacting waterfall and also uh, increasing the severity of these of the droughts that the region has been experiencing. So the flow of the river has greatly decreased. Um, and there's been a lot of concern in the upper basin states, uh, which have to leave a certain amount of water in the river for the usage in lower basin states and Mexico um, about, you know, how much water they have. Uh, Last June, I did a story about Fort Collins, Colorado, which is outside of Denver. And, you know, they've seen a lot of tap moratoriums and other things that have prevented new building from happening. Um, And because they just don't have enough water to support more buildings. 
um, which has been very tough on the housing market because we've had a lot of people move into those areas over the course of the pandemic. Um, and that's driven up property values quite a bit. So it's been it's been tough for home buyers out there and then in terms of prices, but then they also have this added concern of like, are we going to have water? Um, which is, you know, definitely a big issue. But last week, the Department of the Interior, which manages the flow of the Colorado River, uh, released a draft analysis outlining three plans to divvy up uh, supply cuts needed to keep the ro- river flowing among the states that rely on it. Um, and so there were three different plans. The first plan or first option is to do nothing, which basically everyone says is bound for eventual disaster in the not too distant future. The second one involves making reductions to water supply based on which states have the most senior water rights. Um, And the third plan would result in water being evenly distributed among Arizona, California, and Nevada. And the plans only pertain to the three lower basin states because those are the only three states that the federal government can control the water supply for because they're fed off of Lake Mead and not the river itself. Um, So with the second plan... The largest and oldest Colorado River water user is California. And so California would mostly be spared from any impact from these cuts. However, Nevada and Arizona, which both saw huge influxes of home buyers at the height of the pandemic housing boom, would face the largest cuts. And one of the most notable things is that the aqueduct that carries drinking water to Phoenix and Tucson would be reduced nearly to zero. And we all know how hot the Phoenix housing market was for basically the later half of 2020 through uh, the middle of last year, really. And that would be a absolutely devastating um, to the city and to everyone that's you know moved there recently. Um, but if you know the water cuts are evenly distributed among the three states, which is the third plan, each of those three states would be facing roughly a 13% reduction in water deliveries, which would definitely be a better situation for Arizona and places like Las Vegas. Um, but it is a concern for Southern California's agricultural region, um, which you know also would be a concern for the rest of the country as well. Um, so there's definitely a lot going on here. This is not the first time that uh, water rights in this area have been you know, looked at and reviewed, um, but this is the first time that the federal government has stepped in. Uh, last year, the federal government asked the seven states to kind of come together and create a plan, and the first go-round, they didn't. And then the second go-round, they uh, came up with something And six of the states, so everyone except California, suggested that most of the water cuts come from California's usage. And that California had its own plan where it said that all the water cuts should come from Arizona. So this definitely does, it doesn't look like the seven states will be able to come to a decision. Um, The federal government has said that they would prefer that the seven states do something themselves versus having to you know, get the federal government involved, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. And it looks like the federal government is finally willing to step up and do something about, you know, water usage from the Colorado River. 
I think that's going to be the big uh, difference here because, it, like you said, I mean, it's not like they haven't tried things before, but after they failed to come up with a plan, the federal government didn't do anything. And this time it feels like um, they're really turning the screws and being like, no, we're serious. If you don't do something, we're going to do something, right? And it's it's funny to me, of course, that, you know, California, you know, of course, the other states are like, yeah, let's put it with California, you know, because then they're getting great. And California's like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> You know, um, yeah. and then you think about, I, I was reading, you know, we know that California has had an incredible snowfall this season. I mean, just unprecedented really. And so I was like, well, maybe this solves the problem. Um, and it does for, for that state, it doesn't do anything for the Colorado river. Right. It, um, so most of that snowfall was in the, um, Sierra Nevada range and that, that range, it drains over to the West. So the Colorado river didn't get any benefit, but the state aquifers, all you know, California definitely benefited, and obviously it took them out of a drought state and really, um, you know, refilled some of the reservoirs. So in this kind of situation, you think, why isn't there a dynamic plan to be like, this state saw more, so this year, you know, we can divert some of their water resources to the other states, or, you know, it's it's hard to imagine Arizona ever being in that position. Maybe that's only a California thing. But especially right now, it feels like, well, well, now they're doing better. Is is this the time to, you know, make sure that that Arizona and Nevada are going to be okay? It is a it is a tricky, tricky problem. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, as you said, there, you know, California is doing a lot better with water right now because of the winter they had. Um, and, you know, ideally it would be great if the Colorado River Compact did have some flexibility in it that would, you know, allow more water to go elsewhere. Um, but, you know, who knows, maybe this winter and all the rainfall and snowfall that California got will make it more amicable in negotiations. But, uh, you know, this is only a temporary solution because who knows what, you know, the weather will bring in the coming years. I think this is where, you know, there's a lot of people in housing that are concerned about this. I mean, everything from insurance, right? How, how do you get insured? Right now we're uh, working on a feature. I think uh, Bill Conroy is working on a feature about South Florida and just the, you know, with the different climate things that have happened there, weather things that have happened, it's really, really hard to get insurance, right, on your houses. Well, if you, if you don't get insurance, it's going to be really hard to to buy and sell houses down there, build houses, and keep up with the demand in the same way, uh, water. So there are these larger issues that really have to be dealt with at some point. We just keep kicking the can down the road. Absolutely. Yeah. Insurance is definitely a concern. I mean, I know I've covered some of the housing markets out in California that have dealt with wildfires and, you know, it's very hard to get insurance in those areas. And I'm sure, um, you know, with increased severe weather disasters and severe weather in general, um, you know, it's going to be more challenging to get those insurance policies that you need for, you know, whether it's flood or fire, um, you know, depending on where you are. And that'll definitely impact homeownership and where people are, you know, able to afford to live moving forward. It's really crazy. I remember um, just not that long ago, they had turned off, I think you, you called it a tap moratorium, right? And But even people who had already built their houses, um, they were not able to access water through their, their the city water in Phoenix. Yeah, there's a lot of stories like that going on right now. And 
you know, it's those areas in the Sun Belt. There's so much building going on right now. And also, you know, as a home buyer going out there, you know, buying potentially a new build because that's all, you know, you can get because there's no housing inventory uh, or there was no housing inventory in those areas. Um, you know, not knowing if you're going to be able to have running water in your house is definitely a concern. Yeah, I, I think there's just such a, a larger issue here. Well, Berkeley, I so appreciate having you on. Appreciate your reporting and can't wait to see what you're doing next. Of course. Thank you. We have a Slack channel at HW that publishes all the new registered users for our HW events, like the Gathering of Eagles coming up in June and Housing Wire Annual coming up in October. I was just scrolling through the Gathering of Eagles feed on Slack, and wow, I am blown away with the quality of the attendees. Leaders from Keller Williams, Better Homes and Gardens, EXP, Compass, Hannah Holdings, Remax, and Home Services and incredible ecosystem partners like Zillow, Austin Board of Realtors, New Western Acquisitions, UWM and Bright MLS, just to name a few. If you aren't familiar with GOE, this is our real estate brokerage event for the most elite brokers, teams, MLS execs, and state and local association of realtors leaders. June 18th through 21st in Austin, Texas at the amazing Omni Barton Creek Resort. Visit the events tab on realtrends.com or housingwire.com to register. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.